This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm Jason Kong here with... Mary Lucas of Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you doing today? Doing well. Is it fall? Is it winter? Maybe summer. Last week, this weekend, it was beautiful. I mean, uh, you know, here we are again. We've had a week of winter and we're, you know, where, where are we? We've had a nice string <laughs> of like warmer weekends. It's also it's been nice. It's also that weird time between Thanksgiving and the holiday, you know, the holidays. And I'm like, uh, are we working right now? Don't listen. I have my boss isn't listening. <laughs> we're definitely kidding. working. If anyone's asking, we're definitely working. Well, we've got a wonderful show lined up today. And we are going to be speaking about uh, an organization that came onto our radar that we are uh, really excited to highlight and to dig into. Two, and that is Hope and See. And to have a discussion about that, we are lucky to have Aura Rea with us on the line. She is co founder and board president of Hope and See. Aura, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. So, talk to us a little bit about Hope and See for those who don't know about it. What is Hope and See, and how long have actually, let's go back. Aura, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get involved with Hope and See? How long have you all been serving our community? Um, Hope stands for Housing Options for People with Exceptionalities, and it was started by three parents, myself and two other parents, Dottie Foley and Ginny Dropkin, five years ago. And the impetus really was the recognition that there was uh, options that were lacking in the state of North Carolina that we would like to see expanded. And by that I mean housing options for adults with intellectual developmental disabilities, which we coined the phrase IDD to make that short. And all three of us have adult children with autism, Mm -hmm. and we really felt there was a need to expand the options for where they would be living in their future, and all three of us our, our adult sons are in their 30s, 40s. So, um, you know, time is ticking very quickly for us. So there's definitely a personal driver here for you in starting Hope and and um, for your children with IDDs. Uh, thank you, because that was going to be a mouthful for me to uh, <laughs> <laughs> to keep to keep saying. Um, and that is your driving mission, then. It is absolutely. As I said, we're all aging. And we've all been caregivers for our adult sons from the time they were born. And we all know that as we age, that looming question of what will happen to them when we're no longer able to care for them is something that for all uh, caregivers who have mm-hmm. children with adult uh, disabilities or adult children, um, that, is, that is what keeps us up at night. I can't, yes, I can't imagine. A lot of the time on this show, we talk about caregivers who are caring for um, their their parents or their older loved ones, and I think that this is a, a something that maybe we should be talking about more in the community and um, is something that's really important. You recently held an inclusive housing summit. To, tell us a little bit more about the summit and the impact it had on our community. 
Sure. Uh, we held our second. Our first was last year, and we wanted to have an ability to raise awareness of the issue of expanding housing options in the state of North Carolina, so we decided to hold a summit. And last year we had two wonderful keynote speakers, and again this year, and last year we had 150 people. We were afraid we wouldn't even fill the room, and we had to shut down the red registration due to lack of space. This year we got a larger venue and we had 225 people. Wow. And the overall sense was appreciation for ability to learn more about what this is, mm -hmm. um, including the issues involved, what's out there, what's working, what's not working. So I think it was very well received. That's wonderful. When In the title of that is inclusive. When you mm -hmm. think about inclusive and intentional communities. What does this mean to you, especially from the caregiver and the parent perspective? Sure. That's a great question because a lot of people say, what do you mean by inclusive? Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to highlight that in North Carolina, uh, we've had a longstanding institutional bias and the options that exist are generally segregated, and by that I mean either group homes or intensive mm -hmm. care facilities. And HOPE by no means wants to eliminate those options. We are looking to expand options. So for those of us who feel that living in the community is critical, uh, we want to be able to pursue that. And so I think it's important to provide a, a framework just to go back a little bit. In 1999, there was a decision called the Olmstead decision and that was basically based on the Americans with Disability Act that say people with disabilities have the right to live in the community. And yet we're finding that those options in North Carolina are severely lacking. Mm. And the intentional piece of that is also really, really important to this. It is. It is. Um, the idea is, and it's not a new idea for people who are familiar with co-housing. Mm -hmm. um, for example, in, in Israel, they have something called kibbutzes, which are like co-housing. People are living in a community with the intent that they are part of a community. And that's what we're looking for. What we're finding is that many people, especially people with disabilities experience an incredible sense of isolation mm -hmm. and especially even aging adults and so we want to create a community that is inclusive by and by that I mean not just people with disabilities but a range um, we're ideally looking at 20 to 25 percent of the community would have people with disabilities mm -hmm. perhaps another uh, 25 50 percent aging um, adults, older adults, and also lots of other populations that need affordable housing, the workforce mm -hmm. um, population, people who cannot even afford to live in the community that they work in because housing has become so expensive. Mm -hmm. And by intentionality, we mean people who, who are truly looking for a sense of community rather than closing the door when you get home from work that, that day, um, but to have a community where we are nurturing that sense of belonging so people not caring for each other but are actually helping each other because everyone including people with disabilities have have strengths and gifts to offer i just love i i, I love this idea talk to us a little bit about some of the key elements of what this community looks like and and how it interacts sure we have certain criteria that we want for our community, and that is based on 
the, the need that is out there. For example, lots of people with IDD do not drive, as well as those of us who are older and um, looking at the possibility of not being able to continue to drive. So one of the important elements is to be located in an area that has um, access to transportation, being on a bus stop, has walkability to important elements such as a grocery store, healthcare, having walkability to the outside. We envision a community center that will help to nurture that sense of belonging among mm -hmm. all of the residents. And so it's important that we not be created um, somewhere out in rural areas mm -hmm. because that will lack many of that criteria that we want. Hence, that has created quite the obstacle in finding that piece of land that meets all those needs. Mm -hmm. Very interesting conversation that we're having with Aura Rea. She is co-founder and board president of Hope and See, and we're going to continue our conversation with her right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. We are speaking with Aura Rea. She is co-founder and president of Hope and See. And Aura was just giving us a background on how this idea came to be. And Mary, during the break, that kind of got our brains thinking that, that this sounds like an amazing community. And okay, well, how do we how do we make this happen? <laughs> exactly. I was I was thinking how can Oof. how can someone support Hope? But even bigger, Aura, where where is this community? going to be because I have chills thinking about how wonderful mm. this would be um, and the the um, intention behind this project is is just beautiful where do you have plans in the works of where this community could be or, or what's where where is it driving you sure. we do we would like to uh, start in the triangle area we've been doing a lot of work in uh, Chapel Hill and Cary and Raleigh in the last five years we've been meeting with anyone and everyone including uh, community, town, stakeholders, town council members, mayors, all of them also truly um, love the idea of having this community in their town. Mm -hmm. And because we want it to be affordable, that limits the type of land we can't afford to, for example, pay three or four or five million dollars mm -hmm. for a piece of land and be able to continue to pursue that affordability. So we're looking at land that can be donated or land that is um, not as cheap. But And, and I want to stress that we don't want this to be one community. We want this to be replicated. Mm -hmm. We want people to take this idea, and, and by no means did we create this idea. There are other communities throughout the United States that are similar to this. Mm -hmm. And so we would love to show that it can be done. It's feasible. It's um productive for everyone who lives in and out of the community so that others will take the idea and run with it and create because there is such a need for this 
in the state of North Carolina and, and throughout the country. You know, as the the more and more we talk, the more I think about this has not been just a journey for you right now in this moment. The, you know, you have been a caregiver your entire uh, for your children, your entire mm-hmm. that entire journey. That's a long journey. And now you're thinking ahead at this point as a caregiver um, and, and pausing and thinking, what next? What do I do next to take care of them for the rest of their lives? Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that space and what that feels yeah. like, because this is not just a journey right now. No, and as you said, it's been a journey for me. My son is 38, and I, I we have a daughter who's 40, and, and it's very different because she's independent, and she lives in another state, and she owns mm-hmm. a home, and she can take care of herself, and mm-hmm. that is not the case for my son, who will need support his entire life. Mm-hmm. And I like to use the word interdependent versus independent, because I don't think any of us are ever independent, but particularly for, for someone like my son, who cannot drive, um, has limited verbal ability, so he needs those supports. But I do believe that with those supports, he can live a very fulfilling life. And so my goal is to find a place for him where he can get those supports. I think, you know, at age 38, he can express it, but I know he is so tired of living with his mom and dad. (laughs) And I so much want for him to live in his own home, with the support so that he can uh, have the quality of life that I know can be improved upon if he did live in his own home versus still living with mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the driving force. Um, we have a wonderful board member who came to us because he was talking to someone about the stress of caring for his aging father. And this woman had just heard about hope and she said, you think you have it tough. Mm-hmm. Listen to these these moms who started this organization, she said, this will never end for them. Mm-hmm. And and it's true. And that's the reality. I mean, no one, why would you understand this unless you lived it and understand the impact of having uh, a person with a disability to this extent? It's um, limiting. My husband and I have not had vacation together in over 20 years. Mm. Um, we have separate vacations because someone's, you know, needs to be with him. And people... Truly, and, and again, why would you know this unless you live it? But I think it needs to be um, talked about is what society needs to provide as far as support for caregivers, mm-hmm. for those who are caregivers of aging older parents and for those who those um, supports will never stop. That's, uh, yeah, I could not agree more. That said, your, your journey has been a tough one, and I, I think these are things that we need to be talking about. Um, Collective Impact is another project you're focused on at Hope. Tell us more. What is this and what are the object- objectives behind mm. this? Yes, it is uh, a grant that we received from UNC Cares and Money Follows the Person. And the idea in a nutshell with Collective Impact is that not one organization or individual can address a major issue such as housing. And so the concept of Collective Impact is to find a truly a collaborative uh, organizations, several organizations that can address this. And we have several partners, including UNC Partners in Aging, and we've developed um, some wonderful work groups that address many of the different issues that go under housing. And HOPE is serving as the backbone. It's a four, possibly five-year um, 
grant. And so that's enabled us to do something like hire an executive director. You know, until then, the three of us worked um, more than full-time. You know, volunteers is a passion. Um, but it's wonderful to be able to have an executive director, Laura Wells, who is running the organization along with an incredible board. And so this grant has enabled us to expand our awareness and our reach within the triangle and the state so that more and more people know about this. That's wonderful. How can people get involved with your organization or stay updated on the progress of the community and collective impact in the projects that you're working on? Well, thanks for asking that. We do have a website. It's called hopenorthcarolina.org. We've got lots of information on that. Um, They can join our mailing list on that, and we send out monthly newsletters. We also have monthly community events that are usually held in Chapel Hill that they can attend. Um, We also are advocating across many different areas, and we really need people to get involved in advocating and reaching out to members of the General Assembly Mm -hmm. to address those many issues, such as the lack of direct support providers in, in the area and in in all of North Carolina. And, um, of course, donations are always helpful. But most importantly, if you know someone who has a piece of land or is donating Mm -hmm. um, a parcel of land or is affiliated with a church who has some land available, we'd love to hear from you. That's wonderful. And one last question for you. What other strategies, I I have to ask, is Hope involved in Mm. to move your mission along? This is such an important mission, and there are so many ways that people can get involved. What other strategies are are you guys putting in place? We've got quite a few. Um, With the recognition that land is becoming so difficult, we've decided to expand our vision from building a community from the ground up to looking at opportunities where we can approach other developers who have communities already set uh, planned and say, okay, could you set aside 20 units in your community of maybe, you know, two to 300 units of people with, for people with disabilities to be integrated within that community? We also just hired um, a community facilitator, and that is, I think, a key component of the community that we want is someone to help to facilitate and nurture that social engagement with all of the residents in the community. And we are working with a a project called North Street in Durham, which is in existence. It's an intentional community where people with and without disabilities live. And they identified a key piece that there was still that sense of isolation among many of the residents. So thanks to a grant, we were able to just last week hire someone who will help to bring that together to encourage people and to ensure that people are not feeling isolated in the community. And it could be simple, something as simple as developing a weekly um, get-together and making sure that everyone that lives in North Street is involved. And so we're really excited about um, that will provide not only the support for North Street, but will provide for HOPE um, some research and some you know, conclusive information as to how that role can be used in future communities. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a, a great partnership there and will be very useful for you. We are just about out of time. I want to thank Aura Rea for being on with us. She is 
co-founder and board president of Hope NC. If you're just joining us, Hope NC seeks to create inclusive communities where people of all abilities and ages experience a sense of belonging. They're trying to have community reimagined, and we were very happy to have Aura on with us and to share her thoughts and her experience. Aura, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for providing the opportunity. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be back with more. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680, WPTF News Talk Traffic. Thanks so much for being here with us. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we are going to switch topics now, and we are going to focus now on hospice, what it is, what it isn't. There's a lot of misinformation and kind of half-truths when it comes to hospice and just kind of accepted uh, things that really aren't the reality. So we are very pleased to welcome into the studio today, we have Dr. Alyssa Luddy with us, and she is a hospice and palliative care physician. Dr. Luddy, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to have Dr. Luddy and that you all know um, my, I talk a lot about my grandfather and in his last days of life uh, at the hospice home, Dr. Luddy um, was so helpful and we're so grateful for everything she did for our family and for caring for him. Um, she really helped guide us in some of the most difficult times, but uh, it was very peaceful and um, I'm forever grateful for everything that you've done. Um, you. So I could think of nobody better to come on the show to talk about what is hospice care because you have seen it all. And you're also uh, a physician in our hospital now for transitions. Correct. Which yes. is great. Um, so, Dr. Lay, let's start with the simple. You sure. know, there's a lot of myths out there and, you know, you hear all sorts of things. I'm sure you hear it all at the hospital as well. Mm -hmm. uh, what is hospice care and who is eligible for services? That's a good question. Um, would it be helpful if I started with sort of the difference between hospice and palliative mm. care? Because I feel like that's sometimes a lot easier to sort yeah, of enter would, in. That's a good point. Good point. Um, because oftentimes, so right now I spend my days, um, when I met you initially and mm -hmm. your grandfather, I was covering the hospice home for transitions. And now I spend my days um, inpatient doing palliative care mm -hmm. uh, in consults. Um, so... So palliative care, because I think it's easiest to start with that, and hospice are not the same. Mm -hmm. They're different, similar, but very different key differences. Um, palliative care is really a consult service, so we get called in to add to whatever care the patient is already getting um, and not to take over the care. Mm -hmm. And so we often get called in to see patients in the hospital for usually a few reasons. So one is symptoms. Um, pain, shortness of breath, nausea, constipation, 
um, sometimes to provide emotional support because it's always difficult to have a loved one in the hospital. But a lot of the times it's to sit down and have a more in-depth conversation with the family. And, and sometimes the patient is included if they're able about what's happening with them um, and really what possible treatment paths there are forward and help them decide what makes sense based on their values. Sometimes that path forward might include hospice, mm-hmm. but not always. Um, and so pa- palliative care can become part of someone's overall care at any point in a life-limiting illness. So mm-hmm. that could be with diagnosis of something like cancer. Um, it could be later in their disease course, uh, but it's, it's at any point. So the reason I kind of start with that is then that helps me go to like what hospice is, Mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. hospice is when really people are interested in fully comfort-focused care. They Mm -hmm. really have decided that is their main focus of their care, and they're not interested in maybe what we call disease-directed treatment, so um, things like chemotherapy for cancer. Um, And they've wanted to really just have as high quality of days as possible for as long as possible. Mm Hospice is the team that does take over. They become the primary team Mm -hmm. that takes care of the patient. And that care is provided wherever the patient lives. Mm -hmm. And so, and we can get into a little bit more of the details of what that means. Um, But it's a multidisciplinary team. And there's mainly the nurse is the primary contact for Mm -hmm. the patient. uh, And the, the key contact initially. Other members of the team that are very important our social workers, chaplains, home health aides. It's all overseen by a physician, um, but they're, again, their main contact will be that nurse. You know, something that a lot of caregivers and patients are have along the, their journey and whatever that journey looks like is a really close tie with a primary care physician yeah. or a cardiologist in my grandfather's example. Yeah. Is that something that you can keep on if on palliative care and on hospice? And what does that relationship look like with another provider in the mix in those mm. cases? Um, certainly for palliative care, they would remain that primary, you know, part. They would remain in the same role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, palliative care. Did mm-hmm. I say that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that wouldn't change for when a palliative care has become involved. They, we don't. Again, we're just a, an, an additional consult mm-hmm. for hospice. They certainly can be the provider that if the patient says, "I want it to be my primary care doctor who's my attending," and the primary care doctor agrees, then that's definitely feasible. Um, and it sometimes it happens. I would say. Oftentimes, they choose to pick the hospice medical director or hospice attending to be the physician because they need to be contacted quickly and easily, Mm -hmm. and that can be harder, you Mm -hmm. know, as a primary care doctor. Um, As I know, I was one. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. It's something you don't think about when you are trying to make these decisions, especially in an emergent situation if you're at the hospital. Um, And when you think about going from palliative care to hospice or even if you're in the hospital trying to decide – when is the right time to consider hospice in your trajectory or, or what does that look like on timing on hospice yes. versus palliative care? Yeah. So the other, and I think maybe I didn't include this in that first definition of hospice. It's really not only when there's the comfort focus, but also somewhat arbitrary prognosis of six months or less. So that's something that Medicare has kind of picked as the quote unquote line in the sand. Um, 
And what that means is you have two physicians who agree that this patient has an overall prognosis of six months or less, and they want comfort-focused care. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think I think what to go back to your the question you mm-hmm. just asked me, mm-hmm. which was like. Can you remind me what it was? I'm sorry. At what point in the trajectory? <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. At what point in the trajectory is the right time to consider ah, hospice? Okay. So the right time, sorry, the right time would be when both those things make are true for you. Like mm-hmm. I want my care to be really comfort focused, and we think someone's kind of near that end point of their life. Mm-hmm. I will say a lot of people, unfortunately, in my mind, come onto hospice pretty late mm-hmm. in that overall trajectory and I think I think that's a missed opportunity on to be honest because I think the care that can be provided by hospice can really just make someone's quality so high mm-hmm. um, and so sometimes there's not that opportunity to get that to get the symptoms under control and have them have really good time with their family or friends um, so I think when it's even sort of a question of I'm tired of going to the hospital um, you know, I'm not sure I want to continue chemotherapy. And if you're just kind of asking yourself those questions, I think it's worth just exploring it. Mm-hmm. You certainly don't have to make a decision in that moment. I think it's always worth finding out your options. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point. I'm reading the book, or I just finished reading the book, When Breath Becomes Air. Mm. And the author is a physician who... Oh, yeah, I read it. <laughs> it's, it's intense. Yeah. Um, but a great book. Yes, wonderful um, book. He is a physician or was a physician who was battling lung cancer, and he talks at one point in the book about his body not being strong enough to take the treatment anymore. And in this case, yeah. his last days of life were spent with this dreadful disease in the hospital and, yeah. and where he passed. Do you see, and there you were just talking about the benefits of starting sooner rather than later, so you see that happen more often than yes, not in your practice? For sure. And that's, you know, and for some people that's that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um I think what's hard is when you maybe the question wasn't raised early enough or the topic was avoided because different fears within the family and sometimes it's the patient's fear themselves but mm-hmm. um yes I think I think that is hard to see Yeah it's it's a challenge because it's hard to know exactly at what point you need to make that decision but I think you know, having the inputs from uh, your care team and making sure that you're uh, understanding the options that are available to you are really important. We're speaking with Dr. Alyssa Luddy. She's a hospice and palliative care physician with Transitions Life Care, and we're going to continue our discussion on all things related to hospice and palliative care right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and our guest in the studio is Dr. Alyssa Luddy who is a hospice and palliative care physician with Transitions Life Care and we're talking about 
all things hospice, Mary, and we've covered a lot of ground so far on, you know, what hospice is and what palliative care is. And um, I know we want to spend some time now talking about the, the care team that's involved here. Absolutely. I think that this is a huge benefit of hospice that people don't always understand, especially like Dr. Letty mentioned earlier, in, if you're coming on to hospice very late uh, and you're only on for a few days, you don't get to experience the full benefit of what hospice looks like. So Dr. Letty, talk to us a little bit about yeah. what makes up the hospice team and what kind of services are provided in, in that care. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's a wonderful team. So I think we talked about the nurse and that Mm -hmm. it's an, I will say, in my opinion, um, hospice nurses and ICU nurses, in my mind, are the most skilled nurses. Mm -hmm. And hospice nurses are extremely skilled. So they have to be adept at the whole, treating the whole person, um, anything that comes up. uh, They are the person, they're essentially, in my mind, become like a primary care provider. Mm -hmm. And and look at everything. So they're very skilled nurses, and I think that's not to be underplayed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the entire team, I think in my mind, it's always nice to see a family and a patient get the benefit of the whole team. So social worker. So there's a lot of support that a social worker provides, not just emotionally, but also helping find a family different resources and, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about when the caregiver is overwhelmed and um, helping them think about respite care and sort of just, you know, there's that person who's looking at the emotional health of everyone mm-hmm. involved um, and safety and all of those questions that come up um, for a patient who's getting weaker and having more symptoms and for a caregiver who's doing more mm-hmm. and how is that going. And then always there's like the spiritual side and, and I think chaplains also can just provide another layer of emotional support. I don't think there needs to to be this idea of like, well, I'm not religious and it's I think that's mm-hmm. really not it's not really where they find their strength. It's kind of just helping people what helps them through a difficult time and tapping into those skills. Um, and a chaplain really can help provide that mm-hmm. direction. Um, home health aid, mm-hmm. which I think is a huge help to families that have them come one to two times a week and they help bathe the patient, um, provide some hands-on care, um, and just sometimes even let the caregiver get a little break from some of that. Volunteers, I think, is one I didn't mention before, which are huge. You know, the volunteers are, and it's really lovely to see at our hospice how important they are and how present they are. Um, I think they're incredible, and so they can provide companionship. Um, Sometimes I think they provide transportation, Mm -hmm. you know, so volunteers are a huge part. Um, Yeah, and I think I forgot my own discipline, but the physicians. (laughs) 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 Um, And also nurse practitioners. There's actually, you know, advanced care APPs who help provide a lot of the hands-on care too they go see patients in the home and and then the physicians oversee a lot of it and um yeah so there's it's an incredible team actually Mm -hmm. and so when they're given the opportunity to do everything they can for a patient and their family that's I think what you want to see and see the full benefit it's very helpful. You know, a lot of the times you hear when talking with someone about hospice of like, oh, I'm not going to go off hospice because I have to stop doing 
XYZ treatment or I would have to stop taking this medication. Mm -hmm. Is that true? What kind of medications are covered, paid for, because some of them are, um, and supplies as well? You know, a lot of there's a lot of supplies that go into caregiving. And I, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions out about hospice and supplies and medications. Yeah. So um, it's a very good question. I think, you know, hospice covers DME, so durable medical equipment. So things like, you know, the hospital bed, the bedside commode. Um, I'm trying to think of what all the shower chair, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then also supplies, things that you need to help care for your loved one at home. Um, and so there's a lot of, there's a lot covered in that sense. And then, of course, medications is a big question that comes up a lot. So how that is, so I think, first of all, people get the perception, well, everything is stopped, and then you're put on morphine. And that's that's certainly not been my experience, nor has it been the goal, um, nor is it the approach. So essentially, you know, we look at sort of what is the primary reason this person's on hospice? What is their essentially what we call their hospice diagnosis. But then there's also, you, there's other diagnoses that they have that are contributing essentially to the overall decline. So all of those medications that are related to all of those diagnoses would be considered covered. So it actually ends up being a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things that, I'm trying to think of an example. So I think... Um, blood pressure medications are often continued, mm-hmm. like things like that, because if, you know, if someone has, maybe they're on for an underlying cancer, but they have heart failure, mm-hmm. we'd want to continue medications related to the heart failure because it would cause symptoms to stop it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we would continue things like that. So that's kind of the mindset and how we think of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this medication, what is this medication doing for this patient? And... And then also, would this not having this medication cause a lot of symptoms? So that's very helpful. And, and thinking about my grandfather, when we were working with you all on on his uh, symptoms, that was a big thing that came up. Of you know, yeah. he had heart failure, and if stopping one of these things would actually make him more uncomfortable than continuing right. with him on it, um, which was very helpful and a different way to think about it when you when you're in your mindset, but. Right. I was I was actually out recently, and um, someone asked where I worked, and I said no, I work at Transitions Life Care, and she said Hospice of Wake County, and I said yes, and um, it can go as you know as a hospice physician talking about your profession can go a couple different ways, and I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of myths out there about what that means, yeah. and um, she immediately told me that she had a, a bad experience, and morphine um, was. Uh, she basically said morphine took my friend's life. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had to stop and pause and and try to correct the situation. But I think that that's something that comes up often. Can you talk to us about the role of morphine? You've touched on it. Yeah. And the care for someone who is on hospice and and what is it really used for? Right. Um, Yeah. And I've had that experience myself. And (laughs) yeah, it's hard, but it's also, as I'm sure you turned like an opportunity to talk about it. Um, and so, yeah, we use morphine and other opioids, so things like dilaudid, oxycodone. Um, those are medications that we use for pain and also for shortness of breath, um, which I think is one of the things that people maybe are not as much aware of that we use it for that. And really we're using it 
for we're not giving it unless it's needed mm-hmm. essentially like if someone's not having pain we're not giving them morphine if someone's now that being said if they have pain that we're controlling with morphine that means that we kind of keep giving them what's helping them but it's not started until someone starts having symptoms um, th- so that's one thing we don't start it unless it's needed and there's always a conversation about what would be the expected effect. So if someone's having so much pain, you know, we start at the smallest dose and build up and mm-hmm. see where we are. But the conversation is always around we want to keep them awake and comfortable when they want to be awake, if possible. Mm-hmm. That's not always possible. But that's an ongoing conversation. You know, I think it it's variable from patient to patient for sure. But open communication around that is really important. Um, but certainly it's not given unless it's needed. Communication is always so important in these situations and, you know, it, it can only help and having an open dialogue and making sure that everyone's on the same page is really key. Dr. Alyssa Luddy, hospice and palliative care physician with Transitions Life Care. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, it was a pleasure. That's going to do it for this episode of Aging Matters. If you would like to catch up on past episodes or maybe share this episode with someone that you know who might find this information helpful, you can go to WPTF.com, click on Shows, Find Aging Matters, and there you can find the full archive of podcasts for Aging Matters. WPTF.com, click on Shows, and Find Aging Matters. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.